Psalm 46 is what we're going to talk about today. Be still and know. We are uh, busy people, aren't we? I mean, some are supposed to be a different pace and a different, you know, we're supposed to slow down. I don't know that everybody does. We talk about it. But I think if I asked you how you doing today, um, the legitimate response from probably all of you would be, well, I'm busy. Well, I've got a lot to do. Well, there a lot went on this week. And we feel that. We feel that, that pace of life for us, that running constantly, that getting things done and checking things off the list and chasing and chasing and chasing. Do you ever feel like in all of that energy expenditure and all of that doing that you might be missing out on what life really is? Did you ever feel like you just don't have time to live? You have time to, to take care of all these things and, and, and spend time doing all this important stuff. But when it comes down to it, do you really have a chance to enjoy being alive? Enjoy being a child of God. I think about it sometimes. I am not a real uh, picture taker kind of person. Some of you are. And so we go on activities and events and sometimes I'm like, can we put away the phones and the cameras and just actually have the event instead of taking pictures of the event? Does anybody identify with that with me? Like, okay, a couple, yeah, yeah, there you go. A couple of people are like, okay, I'm glad that you took a picture, but moving on, right? And other people are like, the picture is the event, right? What do you, it doesn't happen unless I can post it somewhere. So I understand that, you know, that's a, we, there's, there's balance in all of this. But I do feel like we are running and we are racing. And, and, and I think specifically as Americans and in this zone of the country, we run hard. And we fill up our lives with things to do every minute of every day. And what does that get us? What does that get us? What's the society like that we live in, that we run and we race and we chase and we try to keep up all the time? What does that get us? Did you know how worried we are as a country we are stressed out more about what could happen than what has happened i was reading some statistics and newsweek tells us that about 80 percent of americans are worried about a major war in the next four years that's a pretty big worry right a major war we're going to go into nuclear war or something like that Gallup tells us that 60% of Americans worry about simple things like oil and gas prices. 40% worry that they will be killed in a mass shooting. Four out of 10 people worry that they will be killed in a mass shooting. 80% of people worry that somehow their privacy will be invaded, whether their identity will be stolen or private information will be taken. 62% worry about the future of this country. We are worried about a lot of things. And we carry this weight. Now, other countries probably look at America and think, man, that's a place where if you were there, you probably wouldn't have to worry. Food is plentiful. We have resources, probably more resources or as many resources as any country in the world. We have as much personal freedom as any country in the world. So what do you have to worry about? But we worry anyway. In fact, it's almost become the American way of life. It's almost become that you don't think you even care unless you're worried about something, right? It's like life doesn't matter unless I'm worried about it. And so we carry this weight around on our shoulders every day. And what does it do to us? What does it do to people to be worried all the time? We are restless people. We can never relax. We can never rest. 
And I'm not saying you, I'm saying we, because I know there are times where like going away on a two-day vacation is useless for me. Because two days is, I'm just about ready to like let go of all of the stuff that's been swirling, and then you're back to it. And you're like, well, that was useless, right? We carry this stuff all the time, and, and we can't, we, we distrust rest and relaxation. And that's not all. That cascades, because into America right now, depression levels in America are as high as they've ever been. It is statistically reported that one in five Americans are diagnosed as clinically depressed. One out of five. And last year, every single state, all 50 states reported a rise in depression in the people of their state. So we race and we race and we never say, where does it get us? We think we know where it gets us, but it takes us somewhere else and probably not a place We want to be. So we could talk about what causes all this, but what we're actually going to talk about today is how a relationship with your creator can bring hope in a world like this. In your lives that need hope, strength, assurance, confidence, and in a world around you that needs all of those things, what we have is a message that says a God who loves us, a God who always comes through, can bring us hope as we live in this fast-paced world. So Psalm 46. This chapter really isn't uh, transformational, startling, new, whatever. But this is stuff that we forget. It's stuff we lose our grip on. And it's truths that set us free. Because there's a bondage that exists around us every day to the weight of our to-do list, to the rush of life, to the trying to keep up, to the trying to keep our heads above water, trying to make sure we're all safe and we're all taken care of and everybody's provided for. And so we get tangled up in all of this stuff. And yet this psalm reminds us Those things don't hold power over us. And it invites us to act like believers. It invites us to live different from the world around us because we gravitate towards acting in our minds and in our actions like this stuff isn't true. But the psalm invites us to remember what we know and to act like it is true. So I'm going to invite you to Psalm 46. And this psalm just starts off in the first three verses with the truth that I was talking about as we were praying. It says this, God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. This stuff is not complicated truth. This stuff is, we should all know this. We, in fact, all do know this. But we don't always hold on to it. And yet it is true. It is persistently true. It is always true that my God is my refuge and my strength. He is ever-present in my trouble. And when it says he's present, it doesn't mean he's got a, a seat and he's watching it all with his popcorn like, ooh, I wonder how this turns out. The idea of him as being present is that he's a present help, 
a rescuer, a redeemer, a God who cares, a God who intercedes, a God who intervenes for your life and for your well-being. Do you know that that's true? Have you seen that as true? Can you hold on to that when life gets dark, when life gets heavy, when life gets fast? It is as true as it has ever been. And I wonder if you've ever asked yourself the question, why is it so hard for me to know at certain moments, maybe this is one of them, that God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help in trouble? Why is it so hard at certain moments to feel that? Maybe today you're someone who's here and, and you haven't crossed that line of faith and become a believer. You're kind of exploring and you're interested and we're singing these songs and you're like, wow, these people are really into it. Maybe you're somebody that's kind of on the outside looking in. You're not convinced about Jesus or God yet. You're kind of thinking it through. And so I would say to you, man, it's understandable that you would feel the weight of this life, that you would feel like it's all meaningless and it, it feels like it's just so heavy. I, I get that. But if you're a believer here, you know better. And your soul already knows this truth. So I'm speaking to people who are already convinced. I'm just trying to remind you, just like this song does, of stuff that you already know. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. It is a reference to history, to experience that we have, that time and time again, my experience, our experience, and as we are connected, we share experiences, and we find again and again that God has shown himself to be reliable as a refuge. That when we are in trouble, when life is dangerous and hard, God cares. And God acts on our behalf. It may not always be as fast as we'd like, and it may not always be in the way that we would like, but if we've lived through experiences with faith, then we've seen that God comes through. I was in trouble, or I was in danger, and I saw the hand of God deliver me and sustain me. I was weak, and God was my strength. As I trusted Him, as I put my faith in Him, He carried me through times so dark that I never could have imagined them. And yet in the middle of those times, he was my strength. If you've walked for any length of time with God, you have a history with the Lord. It starts with being delivered from death forever. Now that's, that's enough, isn't it? But it doesn't stop there. Because he continues to deliver. He continues to rescue. And that provides the basis for the way I should look at everything in my life. God is my refuge and my strength. An ever-present help in times of trouble. I say it over and over again because it's so simple. But do we hold on to it? And then the psalmist turns and says, Therefore, because of that truth, therefore, I will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters were... The idea here is that that truth provides a foundation that is unshakable, that is durable, that lasts no matter what. A lot of times I kind of use this same wording when I talk to couples who are thinking about getting married. I say to them, here's the vow you're making. Some, a couple will come and say, hey, we want to get married and, and we'd like to write our own vows. And I'm like, that's fine. You can write your own vows if you want, but here's the deal. I want them to be vows, right? The, the traditional vows, they say things like for better and worse and richer and poorer and sickness and health. And what they're meaning to say is no matter what happens, I am committing that it's not dependent on if we're doing well or not doing well. I'm sticking with you, right? 
So I kind of start to say to them, I don't want to hear in your vows, like, I promise to take care of your cat, okay? And, you know, I promise that I will cook your favorite meal once a week. Like that, whatever, who cares? This is not a marriage vow. A marriage vow is I'm giving myself to you and you alone, no matter what. If the sky falls, if the earth opens up, I don't care. As long as we're still alive, as long as we're still drawing breath, it's you and me, no matter what, right? The psalmist says the same kind of thing, no matter what. Though the earth opens up, though the earth gives way, even if right now this earth opened up under our feet and and swallowed people up alive, even if the mountains fell down, and I don't know if you've ever seen a mountain, but a mountain falling down would be a monumentous event. A mountain falling down and the seas surging and foaming and roaring. The idea is these unbelievable forces of nature. No matter what this world throws at me, no matter how out of control it seems, what's he say? I will not fear. So you have this dichotomy, you have this this dilemma, this choice between God is a refuge and strength, ever-present help. The earth is falling apart and any normal human being would be scared to death. What am I going to be? And it has to do with where are my eyes? What am I looking at? What am I seeing? It is hard to look away from the physical power that we see and we feel in this world, especially when it's sometimes so overwhelming and feels so unstoppable. But the psalmist says, I will trust no matter what. It takes me in my mind to the story of Peter walking on the water. You remember that story? They're out in the middle of a storm on the sea, the disciples. Jesus stayed on the land. And in the middle of the storm, Jesus comes walking to them on the water. And as normal fishermen who are not accustomed to seeing people walking on the water in the middle of the night, they got scared. And Jesus said to them, don't be afraid, it is I. So Peter says, Lord, if it's you, which he just said it was, but he said, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out. And walk on the water to you. Jesus says, come. So Peter steps out of the boat and Peter starts walking on the water to Jesus, who's walking on the water to Peter. And the Bible makes it very clear that there was a moment when Peter began to sink. And that moment was when his eyes were off of Jesus and onto the storm. When he stopped focusing on what was coming who, who he was trusting, who had called him, and started looking around at what he couldn't control, what he couldn't do, what wasn't his, then he started to sink. And so here the psalmist says, I'm not going to be looking at, I'm not going to believe the message of the mountains or the earth or the sea. I am going to not fear because God is my refuge and my strength. Question for you is where are your eyes fixed? You can easily be convinced that life is hopeless because you are helpless, but you should already know that you're not helpless, that you have an ever-present help, that you have no need to fear, and it is a decision that the psalmist declares, but then he lives. In other words, he doesn't just, it's not a switch that flips and everything's okay and he never fears. He says, I will not fear. I will live out this decision. I will hold on to this decision. I will choose not to fear. No fear. I don't buy it. 
I don't buy what you're trying to do. I don't buy all the stuff that you're, you're putting in my face. What I know for sure is God is my refuge and strength. And I'm holding on to that no matter what. It says to you and I, we should be people who have a radical faith. A faith that looks oblivious or insane or any number of words to people who don't get it. But a faith that is unshakable no matter what shows up in your life. How we doing, guys? Is that how we live? Do we live convinced that God is our refuge and our strength? It's kind of like this. What he says is, no matter what happens, even if this happens, even if that happens. And so I, I, th- I think the way that I want to say it to you today is this. What is your even if? Even if this happens, I will still trust the Lord. I will not fear. I will still believe that God is my refuge and my strength and ever-present help. I will still believe even if. What is your even if? Maybe your even if is what's happening in your life right now. Maybe it is your Lord inviting you to an even if kind of faith that says, you've declared yourself for me. You've said you trust me. You said that you believe that I am for you, that I love you, that I care about you, that, that, I, that I'm going to take care of you. You've said it, but do you believe it even if? And often, the problem is, instead of going deeper in our faith, we let go of faith. And we look around at the things that are being shaken around us and we say, oh, God must not be coming through. I must be in danger. I must find some way to take care of myself. The psalmist goes on, verses 4 to 9, talking about how God takes the chaos when we trust Him and turns it into peace. So here's what it says. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. The holy place where the Most High dwells, God is within her. She will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice and the earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. This section turns from the chaos of though the earth falls apart and the mountains are thrown into the sea and talks about this peaceful thing. There is no mistake that we use water here, but instead of raging waters, roaring waters, foaming waters, now we have a stream that gives life. It's in its place and it's calming. The point is that when you put your faith in God, God takes even the chaos of your life and the things that threaten to destroy you and turns them into peaceful, life-giving rivers. Wow. Have you ever seen God do that? Where you're in the middle of a time where it looks like everything is falling apart and everything is going to just go down the tubes. And you decide to trust God And you walk through it and you come out the other side and all of those things, not only did they just stop threatening you, those very things turned into blessings, turned into life-giving things for you. You ever seen that happen? I have. It's an incredible... You would think, if you've been through that once, you would think there's nothing's going to shake me now and then the next thing comes along and shakes you, right? But the thing is, when you trust in God, the psalmist here describes this process where God turns crazy into calm. God turns destruction and devastation into healing and life. He's the only one who can do that. 
And as hard as you work and as hard as you run, you will never outrun danger and you will never outrun crazy. As a matter of fact, you often add to it. But if you will start with God is my stretch and my refuge and ever-present help, and then you say, I will not fear no matter what, I trust him, what you will watch in your life is that God will take the crazy and bring calm. God will bring safety and protection when everything around you says you are in danger. And he talks about that day when the city of God is on earth and there's a day coming when we are finally and fully delivered from all of this mess. Do you believe you're going to be there? Are you sure of it? Because God has promised it to those who believe. Do you know that you're going to be there? That your end is sure? That the surging waters and the falling mountains do not determine your destiny? That God who saved you, who holds you, who is your refuge, He determines your destiny? Do you know it? Because then you could say, I will not fear no matter what. And by the way, our future and that promise is as sure as our God is strong. How strong is our God? It says here, he is the Lord Almighty. And the the literal translation there is he's the God of hosts. He is commanding innumerable armies. And all of that strength is pointed towards us. Nothing and no one can destroy you because God has promised you his deliverance, his power, his peace. The water doesn't determine your end. The quaking earth doesn't determine your end. God Almighty has told you what your end is. It's up to you and I whether we believe it. Come and see what the Lord has done. Come and see. There comes a day when the whole earth will make war with all of their strength, with all of their power, with every weapon that they have against God Almighty. And you know what the end of that is? He makes all wars to cease. He breaks all their weapons. In other words, why would you and I live like my strength My efforts, my ingenuity are going to do something better than what the Lord Almighty is going to do. If he makes the wars to cease, if mankind is not able to overcome his power and he's promised to point that power at me for my good, how can I be at unrest? He is my refuge, my strength, an ever-present help in times of trouble. The last verses say that maybe, just maybe, there's a reason we don't feel that all the time. It invites us to something pretty radical. And I hope that you will take him up on this invitation this week. Here's what it says, verses 10 and 11. He says, that is God. He says, be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is is our fortress. Be still. Be still. The difference between a believer's life and every other American or any other person should be that we can genuinely and truly be still. That we can rest. We are not convinced that the roaring waters or the crumbling earth mean doom for us. We are not convinced that we need to be on top of everything, that it all hangs in the balance unless we get it all done. We are convinced exactly the opposite, that the Lord watches over us, that He leads us, that He provides for us, and that we can follow Him by faith. 
But we fall into this trap. And one of the reasons that we fall into this trap is because we don't follow this very simple advice. Be still. Do you even know what that means? Be still? What are you talking about? I'm still right now. Yeah, but are you? Is your mind already racing about all the things you have to do? Is it hard for you not to pick up your phone and check what's going on? Like, we don't understand be still. And maybe, just maybe, it is hard for us to live confident in God because we're never still. We're always at unrest. We're always churning. We're always catching up. We're always convinced that something's happening that we need to know about. And so we're always, you know, what's going on on Instagram and what's go, who Snapchatted me and you were keeping up with friends and we're filling our time with all of this information and communication and can't miss this important news and I'm getting updates about sports and all this kind of stuff all the time. This past week, was there ever a time you just were still? Men, I'm not talking about in front of the TV. That's different. I'm talking about still. Not entertained, not distracted, still. We, I'm telling you, what you see in America and what you see in the rush of your life has a lot to do with rejecting this bit of advice, this, this calling from God to just be still. Is it possible to do that in this day and age, maybe a better question is, is it worth it to do that in this day and age? I'm not suggesting that you take day after day and week after week and just be still. But I'm saying, is there ever a time where you're still? Are you teaching your children the value of being still? Here, being still is connected to knowing that he is God. There's some sense here that I don't really get my grip firm enough on his greatness, on his goodness, on the refuge and strength and the help that he is unless I am still. And it kind of goes like this. As long as my hands are in it, I'm like, God, help me with this project. But I'm not fully convinced that God is enough. But when I stop and I surrender it to him, when I act like my life is not all determined about well, how well I've performed or how much I've gotten done, when I can be still, then I'm convinced how great and how good he is. In the Old Testament, there was this idea of a Sabbath day. God said, every seventh day, stop your work. Now, if you, it sounds like a great thing, our weekends and all that, and we think that way. But listen, this was revolutionary because it was not for a lack of work that the Sabbath was installed. It wasn't that there was nothing to do. He just said, act like I've got it. Act like the world will go on even if you're not managing it. Act like you can stop for a day and focus on me and listen to me and worship and spend time with me. Because if you don't take a day, if you don't take some time and set it aside, you will gravitate towards this unhealthy and mind-sickening busyness that we all embrace. Could it be that we lose more and more of the next generation because knowing God is connected to being still? And nobody knows how to be still. And so we raise another generation who are convinced that they've got to be constantly in motion and never know how to be still. And we wonder why nobody knows God. 
Here's practically what I would say about be still. Another way to say it, make some room in your life. Where in your life can you make some room? For a long time for us, it was around the dinner table as a family. A little bit less nowadays, but for years and years, up till probably when Kylie got married, even a little bit after that, every single night, we sat around the dinner table. And that dinner table had all kinds of conversation and nothing else happened and phones were not allowed at the table and we just, we're going to sit here for a little bit. We're going to talk. We're going to be still. We're going to be together. Maybe there's some place in your life where you need to put some things away. Maybe it simply starts with what we're doing right now. Maybe church is more important than you've ever estimated to be because here's a place where where you are invited to put all of your electronics away and, and be quiet and have a heart that is open and just be still. Even though there are things to do and even though you could be down at the shore or on vacation or whatever, cleaning up the yard, you are here resting from that because none of that is as important as knowing that he is God. Maybe there's some room each day to be still. And I would say when I talk about make room, it's just like if you're going to make room in your attic or make room in your basement. If, you, if you've ever taken on one of these projects where you're going to make room somewhere, you have to do two things. There are some things you've got to get rid of and there are other things that need to take up less space than they're taken up. Some things need to get condensed and put away and take up less room and some things need to be gone from your life. Can you do that? Even in just a little way, can you do that? Some things have to go and some things have to shrink. I'm telling you, I think we need it. Why should believers be still? Because we know that our efforts don't change what we want to change. Because when we're not still, we trick ourselves into a very large view of ourselves and a very small view of God. Why should we be still? Because He is God. He's almighty. He's promised. He's faithful. We as believers should be people who know how to rest so we can know. Without being still, it's hard to know that He is God. It's hard to feel it. It's hard to believe it. The Lord Almighty is with us. Have you lived convinced in the past week that He is with us? you? Have you lived that as the norm of your life? And if not, I'm telling you here is a key that has been inspired to be written in a psalm. If you have a hard time knowing that God is right here with you, the Lord Almighty is with you, be still. So my challenge is just this. Make some room in your life. Slow down. Stop even. Oh, I can't do it all at once. That's fine. Make some progress. Move in that direction. Know for sure that the never-ending rush won't get you where you want to go and will keep you from knowing that He is God. So believers, let's live like believers this week. And some of that should show up in the way that we rest, in the way that we trust, in the way that we believe, because we can be still. I'm grateful for the chance to gather and be still. But let's take this and multiply it in our lives so that we are people of peace, people who are sure of God's goodness and God's faithfulness in our lives.